0: This is 2020. This is 2020. This is 2020. Now to growing concerns about You must stay at home. Total cases in the US now top 8.4 million. The new variant of coronavirus is out of control. I hate you 2020!
1: Well that was a pile of crap, I know. However, we did see some amazing tech companies emerge from the crisis. And this podcast is me going around the world talking to founders of these companies, so To explain the premise here, I promise I'm not going to talk this much at the start of every episode, but you know, easing you in gently and all that. My name's Ben Kenwright and last year I also decided to start a business of my own during 2020 and lockdowns and coronavirus variants. And I was kind of wondering who else was out there doing the same thing because it's quite a unique time in history. Well, it's not quite a unique time. It is definitely a very unique time in history to launch a business. You're battling things that don't usually come up in conventional startups. The original idea being the club, the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club, where we could do club stuff like meet up and collaborate and, you know, talk face to face. But at the time of recording this, it's February 2021 and I'm in England, still in a state of lockdown, so the club is kind of out the window for now next best thing I could think of was the podcast, which has enabled me to literally talk to founders from around the world. So I've been going around the world without leaving the comfort of my living room. And some of these founder stories are absolutely amazing and can't wait to share them with you. So from San Francisco to Sydney, introducing the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club podcast. And if you enjoy the episode you're about to hear, then please, please hit the subscribe button. We're coming with new episodes weekly. And for now, intro done. Okay, let's go. We have a Mr. Jamie Beaumont, who is a founder of Play2Pay. And to introduce Jamie, I'm literally going to read his LinkedIn strap line, and it is him creating the first clan of recruitment. And I'll let him explain the rest, because he's actually really good at it, is Jamie. So, without further ado, introducing Jamie Beaumont of Play2Pay. So, hi Jamie.
0: How is one? <laughs> Very good. How are you? I'm good. Where in the world are you? I, uh, I'm, actually, I'm in my office at the moment Taking a day to head in Couldn't work at home today So I'm in, I'm in Paddington at the moment Or, or you know, Marlebone um, So I'm enjoying a snowy London As it stands Bloody freezing, but, but snowy um, So yeah, it's, it's an alright day Yes, yeah, it's
1: very snowy I'm in uh, Snowy Barnet And literally been watching snowfall all day So it's quite picturesque But I don't really like snow I'm a bit of a Scrooge when it comes to snow unless i can ski on it i just don't really see the point like my bins haven't been collected and that's just annoyed me
0: yeah yeah i i'm so i, I mean i skiing is my life um so i absolutely love it so it's been gutting this whole covid thing we've not been able to go so i love snow but it, yeah you're right in england it's a bit pointless you yeah. can't do anything with it it just stops things
1: yes okay so outside of england i'm a fan inside of england not so much yeah agreed so before we uh, commence i have to uh, have to just get it out there for uh in the interest of disclosure that we're both from the staffing industry we are guilty <laughs> and uh, we've both been on the supplier end of the staffing industry which kind of brings me nicely into setting the scene here so we're the 2020 entrepreneurs podcast you are officially a 2020 entrepreneur jamie and I know firsthand what the immediate effects were on the staffing industry because I was in it. I was actively supplying recruitment agencies um, and COVID has struck about March time. I know you had another business within the staffing industry running at that point, but COVID has struck March time. First thing every company on earth did was stop their vacancies and stop any. Oh, a lot of temporary uh, temporary labor and, and contractors that were on site. They are all the first to go. So the recruitment industry was in a complete state of disarray. Um, staff being furloughed left, right and center in the UK. Staff being let go, unfortunately, in other places. And industry has gone into a state of paralysis. Also an industry that was very technologically behind. You've got big operators. I won't name names, but they're trying to suddenly migrate 50, 60 p- staff plus into working remotely when they haven't really got a clue how to do it. So there was clearly opportunities there within this mess, but generally you've got an industry that was fucked, right? Mm -hmm. So March, April, things starting to recover slightly, shoots of grass, technology's doing okay, and you're kind of the same vantage point as me, right? Yeah. So at what point in time has the catalyst for for play-to-play come about through the mess?
0: So play-to-play came about in May, so we we were part of this complete um, crumbling of of the industry, you know, the kind of carpet taken taken from beneath us. And we're sitting there, and and we can't even really give our software away for free because as much as as much as people want to onboard themselves onto tech, you know, HR tech software, they've furloughed everyone, they've shut down. They've, you know, their doors are closed. No one's doing anything and no one's hiring. So it doesn't matter what software they're using. This is off right? Yeah, this is offered. So everything's stopped. So we, you know, we we had a significant amount of interest in in, in that product during lockdown, but, you know, there's just no decision-making going on. Uh, and it, it started to bring out something that we thought about before, which is recruitment agencies and, and, and smaller businesses operate, you know, next to each other side by side you know symbiotically some would say you know recruiters help help SMEs grow and, and SMEs use recruiters and recruiters love that and, and the industry is booming because of it but one of the biggest facets holding everybody back was the finance side of things and we knew that and you know I'd run an agency beforehand I knew that getting paid late was really bad for agencies and I'm running an SME so I know that large recruitment fees are, are you know, paralysing something you know, somewhat for businesses. So how on earth do you kind of fix this parallel? Um, and I thought to myself, well, I wonder if we just put, we just flip all the discrimination against recruitment agencies within finance, and go, we're going to build a product that's that makes the recruitment agency a, a real beneficiary, but also offers a real benefit to to people looking to help their cash flow, uh, and and it pretty much started from there and I started to speak, you know, speaking to people, what would you, what would you want? What would you do? I mean, it went, it, we had some crazy ideas. You know, there was some, that, there was some that was just, why don't we just invest, you know, put some money into recruitment agencies at a point where, where pretty much all of them were going down. I'm thinking to myself, why don't we invest in recruitment agencies and just like make, make some mega ones, stupid idea. Um, and, and it got to the point where we built this amazing little model uh, and, and from there it was about, all right, it's game time. You know, you've got to test this. You've got to, you've got to research this and, and, and play to pay was born. So
1: it's born at a time when I guess we're all sitting at home and we have more time to think about things, but were you seeing a direct pattern of agencies struggling
0: because of the financing aspect? Massive. So 90% of agencies that, that we were working with, I was speaking to, and, and I, Small business, so I was doing outbound myself. So I was speaking to hundreds and hundreds of agencies, if not into the thousands. Uh, and they were actively chasing unpaid invoices. Desperate, because you've gone for a point where businesses have just, you know, whole, it's not like 2008 where the economy slowed down. It's just stopped. So people are panicking going, what well, if we don't get paid, that's it. That's, that's game over for our, for our agency. So it went from we're billing to we now, we're now chasing those bills. We're doing everything we possibly can to get paid. And and no one I spoke to was having any success. You know, everyone's going, well, we've not got any money that, you know, we've just been put in lockdown. We've furloughed all our staff. We've got no extra cash to be able to pay your recruitment fee or, you know, we've sacked, we've, we've had to let go the hire. And and you know, we want to, you know, we're going to activate our rebate. So, there was a, there was a huge correlation between agencies that were you know within um, were actively still surviving the lockdown but all they were doing they were just trying to get paid the bills that they were owed from previous placements and it was it was a very difficult task for some of them and some of them, sad to say, went under because of it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I saw it firsthand as well. So just to actually break that down for listeners who aren't au fait with the world of recruitment, everyone knows that recruiters will go out there, they place someone and they charge a whopping fee. So it's always quite controversial. There's that whole 10 minutes work and 10 grand attached to it type thing. Um, but just to actually kind of really explain what that means, it's called contingent recruitment within the industry. Mm -hmm. And that means that there is a fee attached when there's a successful hire. There's often several agencies working on that. Eventually, uh, the candidate that's successful, uh, the agency that introduced them gets a fee. Right, so everyone knows that part. But then behind them, there's always a rebate period. It's usually around 60 days average. And that rebate essentially means that that money is not guaranteed until the person has successfully completed that rebate. Often it's invoiced on the day of start. But if we think about the timeline and when it comes to running a business, you might have someone interviewed today. They get offered tomorrow, but they can't start to the 1st of March. That agency isn't getting paid to the very minimum April. And then if there's an issue with that candidate, then they're Uh, That rebate can be called in. Even in normal times, contingent recruitment is an absolute cash flow nightmare. Uh, So I can see how, uh, you know, unfortunately, some businesses closed and uh, and others struggled to get the money. And I suppose uh, lawyers were busy and I I won't name names, but. (laughs) Yeah, I know them. (laughs) A few that were very active at that time. So what's next? You've identified that there is this need. You're speaking to agencies that are. Uh, they're, they're fucked right they're, they're, they're wondering what to do to save their businesses uh, you're like me we've been in this industry for a long time but if it were me I wouldn't have a clue where to start when it came to the financing aspects of this as in how you would provide financing so so what's next you've identified the needs what's next
0: so yeah so we've we've identified the product and the need and and the pain points um next is about modeling so creating financial models that show the the potential benefits the risk you know attrition rates default rates all these different things you need to think about when you think about lending now I, i don't come from a financial background so i had to go and get help on this I've got lots of contacts around me who are very, very good at what they do in these specific, you know, aspects. But I, I had to approach people who were at the top of their game in business and say, "What are you up to? <laughs> you might not be doing anything at the moment. Have you got, you know, a spare week or two to help me out with a potentially, you know, game-changing idea?" Uh, and luckily, one, you know, one out of a hundred that I approached came back to me and said, "Yeah, uh, let, let's give it a go." so we we started and this is all excel spreadsheets right this is not fun stuff this is not this is not the glamour that people think the tech industry really is right and fintech and everything like that this is this is risk analysis on spreadsheets this is amorti- am, you know amortizing waterfall flows of cash flow through repayments and all this type of thing that you have to it's great proving the overall concept but now you need to get into the nuts and bolts the dna of actually does this work? It's great. Like, and, and, and people should find out, by the way, being an entrepreneur, an idea is just that. It's an idea. It's rubbish without anything else. And so this idea was rubbish without actually focusing in on the validation that people would want if they're going to fund this, which is get it down on a spreadsheet, model it, show the returns, show how it would work and the benefits for, for external parties, and then and then you you're in a good place then to start approaching people saying, "We need money to be able to give people money," um, uh, and it's yeah, it's it was very very foreign, very new to me. And how long did it take until you had
1: like a, a firm grasp of this?
0: It's still ongoing. I think um, it's it's seriously complicated. I mean, listen, there are people that that work in in you know venture back. Businesses, um, there are people, you know, hedge fund managers that that don't truly, you know, understand the full capacity of, of the knowledge of what what goes into everything. You have three jobs to do one spreadsheet, you know, three people and three different jobs do one spreadsheet. So it's obviously a very big job. My understanding of the overall process now is pretty good, um, and and I can probably sit down and talk to somebody very knowledgeable within finance and answer the majority of their questions now if they wanted me to go build a financial model that's another thing like i'm not i'm not that person i'm not that type of analyst but um you listen to the vocabulary you know you you're involved and immersed in it day you know day after day and it's because it, it's a new idea you're consumed by it uh, and you're always contested by someone and proving another thing so you do get used to it so i'm, I'm fairly good now but yeah i'm, I'm definitely still learning Are you essentially saying,
1: like, summing up the whole finance industry, that no one really knows what they're doing, they can just talk about it really well?
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, bang on. Why do you think 2008 happened? Um, Yeah, yeah, listen, I, I think... I mean, you know, we were talking just before we started this. We talked about WeWork. If there's ever a man, you know, um, it was the CEO of WeWork who could talk himself to to unicorn status, but didn't know what he was doing. Uh, and there's a lot of people in finance who are incredibly good at talking the talk, but but there's a lot of misconceptions out there, and 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 also. This, people do things in different ways in finance. There's not one set way that you should do something. So there's a lot of disagreement between parties, you know, one lender, and another lender. They, they truly believe and staunchly believe they're doing something right, but they're doing it in two different ways and therefore they disagree with each other, you know, risk analysis, whatever it might be. So, so yeah, I, I, don't, think, I don't think there's a set way of doing it. And I, I think there's a lot of things in, in finance where people don't know what they're doing, but they get away with it. So, you know, fair to them.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, we joke, but I think it's the same with every industry, because at the, at the end of the day, no one would be able to disrupt it if the way in which things were done were set in stone. And I suppose mm. some industries are more stuffy than others, like insurance, like banking and finance, where there probably is a status quo. But if it isn't for people like yourself coming into it, questioning things and, and trying to find new ways of doing things, then we won't ever see the disruptive banks like
0: Starling. Yeah, exactly. I think. The the one, one of the really nice things I, I think about what we're doing is we've taken two fairly like Everyone talks about fintech, right? But but fintech's great, but it's still finance is still incredibly slow moving as an industry. Uh, it's taken us four years to even start talking about open banking. You know, Japan have 80% uptake on it. We've got like four percent. So we're incredibly slow moving in the UK when it comes to finance. And equally so in the UK, like you you know, talk about job and stuff like that. It's an Australian company, you know, we talk about British recruitment technology companies there's a few names out there but we're still an incredibly slow moving industry and we need to speed up and covid will have done that by the way and we'll see over the next couple of years what comes from it i think it'll be very good for hiring and talent in general but i've kind of taken two um two industries that are slow moving on the same course and just decided to kind of sit in between both and go well let's try and stick them in one place and just make Put them through hyperspeed and see if we can actually make some, you know, add some value to the industry. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, it's it's like you say, it, to find something disruptive, it's great. But but I think finding slow moving industries is is really key at the start, anyway. Hmm. Interesting you say
1: that about sitting between uh, recruitment and finance now, finance technology. You would think that in order for someone to start a company like that, they would either be from the finance industry or the recruitment industry, but generally there's not. There's not many people that have come out of the recruitment industry that have started some type of fintech brand and vice versa, because I don't think anyone in the finance industry <laughs> to get in recruitment, yeah. yeah. I think they definitely have realised by then that, uh, that it's not a good idea. So yeah. it's interesting that you're buying them together, but hey, it, it's absolutely great for you because it means there's there's not uh, you know much competition. I mean, there's some, but you're certainly uh, very original in terms of what you're doing around the permanent uh, placement lending facility. So on that, we we understand the concept, but breaking it down. I'm a recruiter. I've just started my business. or so I'm, uh, you know, an established but small recruitment company. And by the way, a little stat for the world out there, uh, 80% of the UK recruitment industry is uh, businesses of less than 10 people. Uh, that, that was the case a couple of years ago. I'm not sure if it's changed slightly, but.
0: Uh, it, it, it is. Well, actually, so um, I've actually got the stats, weirdly so, because I've been looking at them in front of me. Um, so thirty thirty one percent of all employment in this country is done um, is done through businesses one to ten, and ninety nine percent of the economy is zero to well one to ten employees. So yeah. it's it's big. It's very yeah. very big. Fascinating. So uh, and it's interesting
1: that recruitment is in a way an exaggeration of that. Uh, and I think it's the ease in which you can set up a recruitment company. Incredib- yeah. Incredibly difficult businesses to, to master, but you can set a recruitment business up quite quickly. So how do I, if I've done that and you've got guys out there that have, you know, building a recruitment business and it tends to be quite perm heavy as in most of their revenues uh, generated by permanent placements. What is play to uh, play, play to pay, sorry, actually doing for me? Your, your strap line is building the clarinet of recruitment, but on a basic level, how does it work? So really, really, really
0: basic level. We we help agencies offer their help them offer their clients a split payment alternative. So their clients are able to pay their fees back over six months. So if we've got a six grand fee, so I'm an agency. I've just taken a six grand fee in. Um, now, as you said, so let's say you know what is it? It's it's for, you know February eighth, where um, I place it. They start on you know March the first. I won't get paid till you know at earliest April the first. Um, and we're always a recruitment agency is always paid late. So, you know, it might even get into May. So we're speaking that it's going to be nearly summertime before I get paid for anything. What play to pay do is we say, right, SME wants to pay over six months. So they pay a thousand pounds a month um, back uh, and a uh, small interest on top of that. So 1.6% a month on, on interest and the recruitment agency, we pay within 24 hours. So you're sitting there on, on the 8th um, you you put your invoice in on the 1st of March. We pay you the latest on the 2nd of March. We can't come back to you for your fee. There's no recourse. You don't take on any debt. There's no risk. It's nothing. It's, it's your com- the complete beneficiary of this process. And your client will pay play to pay back monthly until their payments finish. And that's it. Speaking of risk... My, my, my
1: natural spidey sense is, is tingling when it comes to a client within recruitment that needs to stagger at 10K fee. Maybe it isn't a need. It's um, the opportunity is there. So why wouldn't they take it? as a lend facility. Mm. So two questions in that. Is the client paying any more? And how are you managing that risk for
0: someone that does want to
1: spread the cost?
0: So, so yes, they are. They're paying 1.6% more monthly. So they're paying, um, a a basic 10% fixed on top. So for a 6,000 pound fee, they're paying a hundred pounds a month extra to be able to spread it over six months. Um, you're absolutely right. So, so the difference in all of this is it's very much based on growth and opportunity. So, I'm not out. This this company is not out there looking for a loan. They've not gone to the retail banks or, or, or you know, funding circles to go get a loan. This is purely, oh, you know, let's do it. This is your PayPal credit. This is your Klarna. This is just an easier option and better on your cash flow. But we measure our risk, and 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 we have ways in which we mitigate our risk in, in lots of different ways. First of all, we have set criteria that we lend to. So um, and I won't go into detail. On it because it's quite boring, but we make sure that the businesses have some sort of financial record. So at least, you know, one year's accounts and no CCJs and everything like that. And we also take them through an affordability process. So, you know, we might, um, we might have a small business who you think, well, oh, that's a bit risky. Why do they want to spread the cost? Well, you know, we've gone and done open banking and they're actually really cash rich. The reason they're cash rich is they're quite good with their money. They actually want to spread the costs and save their cash flow. Um, and it's just an easier option. Like you said, it's an easier option for them. Uh, we get a lot of people as well from sales. So sales hires, for instance, um, you usually get an ROI on them in six months. And for us, that means that businesses can use us and actually get an ROI on the cost of their fee before they've even finished paying it. So there's a bunch of different ways we do it, but mitigating risk is is the most important thing that we do. And we just do that by categorizing businesses and then checking, you know, de-risking them by checking, taking them through our process, which takes three minutes tops. um, And just goes, right. You know, we use open banking, part of that 4% of the country that, you know, use it. uh, And we make sure that the business is, is cash rich enough to be able to actually afford to repay this line
1: of credit. Can you actually expand on open banking? You mentioned um, a, a lot higher uptake in Japan. Can't can't remember the exact amount, but four percent open banking. I, explain um, what that is in in basic terms. Uh, so
0: open so in in recent times, so you have to if you want to go get a loan, you have to go give your cash flow forecasts and your balance sheet and and all of this you have to send it in to the bank and then the bank use an underwriter to look through this and then they use affordability metrics to figure out whether or not you can afford a little bit like if you you know going for a mortgage for instance right you have to give all this information over what open banking does is use uses a transparent way of finding that data so use it in different ways and the way we can use a you know, you can attach yourself to zero, where it gives us uh, an open banking view so we can openly see cash flows and um, invoices and bills and we have a transparent view into that business's you know, um, monetary and economic world. And then on the other side of it is you can actually see bank information. So we can see cash balance, you know, cash flows, what's coming in, what's going out over a, over a three month period. So instead of actually demanding all of these different metrics and pieces of information, we kind of sit there and say, well, actually you can use open banking, to get you know get an eye and an open view into a business's performance and and financials without having to go through all the hassle that you did before so and it's it's, you know there's way more complicated versions of it but but it's a fantastic mechanism because it's basically at the click of a button
1: right okay i see why why is the uptake so low in the uk uh
0: well I i think number one because you know, the banks, um, are, are not the most innovative, a bunch. Um, hence why you've had challenger banks come out, you know, you've had the Monzos, you've had the Starlings, the Tides, and all of these businesses. Um, I think, I think we don't use technology to, to the way we should, you know, the Japanese are is, uh, fantastic. They have the equivalent of, uh, you know, like we pay in China and all of these ones where, Everything is transparent, everything is open banking. Um, it's just easier that way. We don't do that. We're still we still use quite archaic methods. You know, the fact that the fact that, you know, banks for mortgages ask us for, for bank statements that are certified and printed out and you know, all these different types of things. When you might even bank with the person you're getting a mortgage with, just shows how really archaic it is. And and these guys are oil tankers, you know, it takes long time for them to move. Um, which is why you've seen, I think it's a company called Marcus owned by Goldman Sachs. You know, they, 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 they buy them um, and then they release these new challenger banks or neo banks, whatever they are. So I just think we're a very slow mover in terms of our institutions. Um, and it's, it's still going to take a long time. I think for us to get to the standards of, of those in Asia who have just absolutely killed it.
1: Yeah. And I, I can, uh, I'll put, uh, put money down that their recovery will be uh, a lot more impressive than ours as well but <laughs> yeah, it will yeah <laughs> hopeful, yeah. so Jamie um, you're in a pr- pretty good position now you are actively uh, taking on clients you are you know a revenue generating business uh, but you're juggling it along well I say juggling you're running this parallel to the uh, to offered a company that you started in 2018 um, and before then you had a pretty uh well a pretty impressive cv in the world of recruitment so let's just wind back a few years tell us where it all started even mojo's clothing tell us about that
0: uh, yeah yeah um uh, that's an interesting one yeah so i mean I, my first actually my first job out of university was at wpp and mark you know advertising uh and it was rubbish so i ended up walking out of that and, and getting straight into recruitment in it recruitment um um uh, i won't name the business but um uh, yeah, a bit of a boiler room at the time. I think they've changed now, but um, uh, yeah, well, I think I got sacked on my last day of rebate with my recruiter calling me up saying it was 100, it was 100. They've got all their money back. Last, I ended up doing two deals. They said I shouldn't have done a deal, um, until my sixth month or anything like that. So I got i got a pretty bad introduction to recruitment, to be honest. I think I might have worked I, for the same company. <laughs> did you? you, you said I'd said boiler IT room. room, didn't last long. I, I had that same experience. Yeah, I I think a lot of people I think a lot of people did. It, it didn't it didn't do the, the recruitment world any justice to be honest. And and I think recruitment lost a lot of good individuals because because of experiences like that. But I, I went off and you know, very briefly I, I went off and did a couple of ski seasons and started a clothing line um for, for retro clothing out there and you know, it did all right. We you know, we sold quite a bit and you know, we did tours around the UK with universities and stuff like that and um and I I, I left that and um and started a graduate recruitment company, um, did very well there, kind of worked my way up the ranks. Um, and then actually I left because I got quite ill. So I had to take some time off. Um, and um, during that time, I actually started another business called Grad Vice, where I wanted to create a, you know, with my recruitment, graduate recruitment background now, I wanted to create a website that gave grads the advice they needed to be able to know what they wanted to do and where they wanted to go. Um, I was always fed up with people saying, I want to go, you know, I want to do this job. So you don't want to do this job. You've never done it before. So how do you know? So I wanted to build an ecosystem of of advice for them. Um, Whilst doing that, I got approached by someone who said, would you like to come and build a, a, a grad division at our business? Um, so I said, well, actually, yeah, screw it, why not? So went there, uh, and then after fifteen months, we did so well. We grew it. We actually went and bought my old business, um, and merged them together. Ended up opening an office up in Manchester and, and going up to twenty-something people, I think. Um, and in yeah, in, in May twenty eighteen, I finally took the jump and incorporated the business, but didn't actually leave that business until until February twenty nineteen. And during that period, yeah, well, you know, I, I was a director of the business. Um, it was, you know, it was a great business. We had a lot of fun uh, and, you know, we tried to implement lots of change, which is very, very difficult. If anyone will tell you merging two businesses together is uh, very, very difficult. Two different cultures being squashed together is always a recipe for disaster. Um, Graduate fast track buying sales point, right? sales point buying graduate fast track Right,
1: okay i understand but then branded um, as graduate fast track
0: yeah 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 so we merged and we went on as as graduate fast track. and sales point stayed with a with a more senior um view as well um so yeah it was it was fantastic and you know we were in you know we were we were loving it and and of course it wasn't covid time so there are plenty of roles um lots of candidates obviously more more candidates now but you know lots of candidates and um it's just a really good market to be and i really enjoyed it um you know, it wasn't a very serious market. You know, you're talking to graduates every single day who are desperate for jobs and also good fun. So I learned a lot during that. And I learned uh, a ton of, you know, how to run a business and what to look at the finances and how to run operational processes. But also learned a lot about the issues that come in industry. And uh, I think one of the things that you'll find in people that build businesses, they see they see gaps in in, in markets and opportunities and they generally tend to, try and solve them and, and take that opportunity. Whereas the majority of the population will look at that and just go, it's annoying, but you know, I'll get over it. And and that's kind of how offered was, was actually conceived. It was me just going, I can't take the problems that are in this industry now and, and, and the industry is caught up very, very quickly, but you know, I can't take this. I want to find a way in which we solve them. And, and so it was born. So yeah, from going from IT recruitment to, to the mountains, back into recruitment and then, you know setting up my own division and buying back the old business. Um, it was a, a bit of a roller coaster. In between all of that, I remember setting up my you know first few weeks of setting up my own business. We we're actually moving flat at the same time, so buying a flat. Um, I just bought a puppy and I was um, I was organizing my wedding. Uh, so it was basically everything you can do at once. I did. Um, so it was a bit of a, a good way of showing. You can do anything, really. You, you can that. take the stress.
1: So my next question, something I'm asking every guest is, what was the biggest silver lining of 2020 for you? And mine was certainly, I didn't realise how much stuff I could actually do when I didn't fucking leave the house. And, <laughs> and also, no distractions. Like, there's no weddings and, and uh, birthdays. And, uh, you know, now people hear this, they're probably not going to invite me to many more. But <laughs> it's just when you are just left to your own devices and you've you've given this time back and there's no distractions. You realize how many things you can get your teeth uh, stuck into. Uh, 12 months in, I, I've got a uh, an HR tech startup and a podcast and I'm not getting much sleep, but hey-ho, it's just making the most of that situation. So that was my silver lining. Um, also, I saved an absolute fortune. But yeah, hey, what was your biggest silver linings of the last 12 months when it's come to growing play-to-pay? Um, yeah, I,
0: I mean, One of the key factors of of COVID and, 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 and I'm always one to say, listen, that you know, I've been very lucky, you know, generally speaking quite close. We've not lost, lost anybody. So, um, you know, I can't imagine were that the case and, you know, it's been harrowing for a lot of people, but, you know, people have been sent to war, you know, and, and bombs have been dropped on London. So for me to be asked to sit down, shut up and do your work at home instead of going out to the office, um, it wasn't. It wasn't the end of the world, right? There were plenty of things it would have been. And what that meant is that everyone was contactable. Um, if anyone said, "Oh, they're just in a meeting," it's like what rubbish that is. You know, there were no gatekeepers. There's no, and everyone was. I think one of the main benefits for me, and actually this is the biggest silver lining in the whole thing, was was the concept, you know, conception of play to pay was it's really important that you talk to your market before you launch anything. Everyone thinks they have a really good idea and there's no doubt that some ideas are really good, but they're polished by the market giving it, giving its own response. You don't necessarily want that response once you've made it (laughs) because you've got to then go recreate it and change it and, and iterate. So I was given the, the free reign to speak to, Hundreds. I mean, I I definitely out. I did outreach, including on email, probably to over four thousand recruiters during that time, um, and I got a magnificent response from ninety nine percent of recruiters who were in peril at the time, right? But so keen to chat. So I got a lot of golden nuggets and bits and bobs and how we should build this and and the whole IP of Play to Pay, by the way, is built by recruiters. I, it's, this isn't this isn't financial institutions going we should do this this is me saying this is an idea and then me going to market to recruiters and then coming back to being going that's great but we should change this and change this so it's a little bit like you know that app ways where people tell you where the traffic is and there'd be nothing without their audience we would be nothing without those recruiters who we spoke to in the lead up to going going and actually creating it so the biggest silver lining for me was i got to speak to as many people as I possibly would have wanted to about something I was incredibly passionate about. And everyone was there to speak back to me. Whereas in usual life, obviously everyone's very busy. We're all billing. We've all got stuff that we need to do. So it it did, you're right. It gave me a, a place where I could sit down. And then as we moved forward, um, it's kind of a perfect storm for us, you know, cash flow wise, and and you know we don't we don't do what we do just for cash flow. You know, some of the idea was how can we get agencies to give themselves a USP that others don't? How can we give you a way in which you can go and win business in a market that's really busy, um, that's not always a fan of recruitment agencies, and how can you win them over with something that's not just you know the same old you know, crap of, oh, we're a different, you know, we're a different agency. We really take care of our clients. It's like, well, yeah, we've heard it all before. Oh, and also, by the way, we allow you to split the cost over six months if that helps. Oh, okay. That's at least a talking point. That's slightly different to the ones that were before. So yeah, this whole thing is weird to say. And I, I hate, I hate to sit here saying that, you know, actually this whole, pandemic has been good it's not obviously but for me it's 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 allowed a lot of positives where i've been able to really get my head down not leave not leave the house and work incredibly hard um and there's been no distractions and i'm a bit like you i'm, I'm kind of glad that no one's been able to you know do you want to go out for a drink later sorry can't <laughs> um it's been it's been fantastic uh and it's just been a great way to to, to really build a product I, I think there'll be some great products that have come out of this where they have been people who have been able just to really give it focus. They're on the um, podcast, Jamie. Sorry, they're on this podcast. It's uh, there. We go. The culmination of it all. Um. And and here I am. I mean, you know, it, honestly, it really is. It's great. So I agree with you. I completely agree with you. But the but yeah, Plato's Plato's biggest silver lining was the was the ability to build it in the first place. Um. It's been it's been a miracle. and and, and you know, I'm here doing it now. So. It's it's
1: gone all right. Well, it's massively impressive um, the timescale in which you you know the the going to market of plate to pay has been very impressive. And The fact that you've got live clients running through a fintech product um, that you initially started cooking up in May of last year that's very impressive. And at the time of recording, it being February the year after. Uh, hey, you said one thing there, which I think will resonate with a lot of entrepreneurs that are about to start a business or have just started a business, me being in the latter category around making sure you speak to the market and understand what the market wants before you start the concept. Now, I don't know the stats, but I would say a lot of entrepreneurs don't do that. We didn't particularly do that. I knew that there, would, there was going to be a shift away from conventional recruitment and there was a massive lack of technology within the industry, within HR, within recruitment in general. And that if we we could come to market with a technology led uh, recruitment solution and we'd have the edge. And then we built the brand and we kind of went into stealth mode and we came out and we uh, were quite wide with our product offering. And now we are listening to the market and simplifying things and understanding what people really, really want, right? And I've talked to other entrepreneurs who've done that exact same thing. They've gone to market, not understanding the market properly. Now, you were in quite a unique, well, you had a unique vantage point. You were running a business that was supplying to other recruitment agencies. Am I right? Mm-hmm. So you, you had that platform to speak to lots of other, uh, well, lots of potential clients. What kind of advice would you give to those entrepreneurs that want to be diligent before they really spend money on a product, but don't have that same vantage point.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, this is probably one of the most important assets of, um, of, of making a business is, and it does change, right. If you go to market with a, a just a bog standard recruitment business, right. It's really easy to change that business. If you're going to build software, it's really difficult to change your, your proposition and the technology. It, you know number one don't don't um don't speak to people and sell it to them just explain what you're doing and get honest feedback right the best feedback you can get isn't from your mom and i think there's a really good book um uh called the mom experience something like that and it's just it's the way it tells you to speak to people when you've got an idea tells you not to sell it to them right because if you go, I've got this great idea and then your friends are going, oh my God, you're amazing. You're so amazing. Yeah, go and do it. That's not useful feedback, right? That's great support system for you, but it's not useful feedback for an entrepreneur going into a market who needs to launch a product aggressively. You need to find out what the market thinks honestly, and then build a product around that market. You need to find pilot businesses who want to help you find the people you look up to, approach them. Say, listen, what this is what I'm trying to do. If they like it, then try build it alongside them. They're your pilot customers. Um, don't don't carry ego. Um, the biggest thing I know is that you know, when we first bought offered out in the first, our first ever model, it flopped big time because we didn't listen to the market. I thought I knew exactly what I was doing and um, and I'd had the experience to do that, but the market said otherwise. Uh, and and lastly, is just move really, really quickly. If you need any changes change them in an absolute blink you know you're iterating constantly but if you're out there and you don't think you've got the market you know um connections you don't have that network um i don't really buy it to be honest like you know we're, society now uh, people watch 10-second videos. There's 100 million people who watch 10-second stupid TikTok videos, right? That the market is so receptive to um, social connection and and help and support. So if you if you want that, number one, you've got to go and get it. So you need to speak to people. We've got LinkedIn is a great asset. You know, you know, a recruiter, you know that um, anyone that's been in recruitment knows that recruitment is uh, LinkedIn is an unbelievable asset. Reach out to people. Ask for their help you will be very surprised about how many people are willing to give you their time, Um, get their feedback, biggest thing I've ever learned, get their feedback and write down their advice. Don't take their advice because just like you, they don't know what they're talking about in the entire market. You just want to take their individual feedback, collate it and find the mean sample to then go and implement into your product. But, yeah, if you are out there now building recruitment technology, financial technology, MarTech, insure tech, health tech, whatever tech you're out there or whatever business you're looking to launch in the near future, if you've got a, if you've got an idea, it is just that. Get the raw, you know, your raw idea, take it to market really simply, maybe just a website landing page, get people on it. What do you think? And then get them to tell you, change what you need to change and then go back to them. Now, what do you think? great. Would you pay for it? Yes. Thumbs up.
1: Yeah, no, I can attest to this. It's funny. If, if you're a sales exec uh, within the company, it's very difficult often to get a founder's attention. If you're selling into C-level constantly, um, it's difficult, right? It's These people are time poor, they're hard to get hold of. But one thing I noticed, as soon as you're a founder of a tech company, or you're about, or founder of any type of business, or you're about to be, and, and that person knows it. They give you time of day. It was interesting when I uh, told my last company I was working for a company called Sense in in San Francisco, tech company within uh, recruitment automation. And I said to um, I said to co-founder, I said, listen, guys, I, I want to do this. I'm going to leave. The first question wasn't oh, okay. Let's how do we get our laptops back. It was like, okay, what are you up to? How can we help? And from then, I've not stopped talking to people that just give me really good advice for free. And it's because they've done this. And especially within technology, they've done this probably not that long ago. Um, And the difference being I'm doing it once we've already got a logo above the door. But you're right, there is no difference really in having that conversation before you have the product. You just have to be honest and say that you don't have the product. But also, it's amazing what you can do with slide decks and,
0: uh,
1: you know, visuals around concepts. You don't have to promise them that you've got it ready tomorrow. Although when you start a business, it's often like, oh, what, did you ask if it was going to rain? Yeah, yeah. I'll sell you rain. How much much will you pay for the rain? So you have to have some discipline when it comes to managing expectations. But absolutely, you can uh, go out there and start asking for advice and feedback before you've got the product. And you probably will get more advice and feedback before you've got the product because they know they won't actually have to buy it.
0: Just, just, Yeah. Well, exactly. When there's no commitment from somebody, when they know there's no commitment, they're really open towards it, but you're right. I mean, you speak to any business owner and they're lying. If they tell you they're still not taking market feedback, what, why do you think, you know, you look at these silly little things that talk about, you know, hotels to Airbnb, Blockbuster to Netflix and all of these that's because they didn't see what's happening in the market. They didn't, they didn't react quick enough to what was happening. We are very, very new, but every single conversation we have with a recruiter or with a hiring SME, we are asking, what else can we do to improve? Uh, and you know, we're actually bringing offered into the plate to brand. You know, we've built, you know, Chrome extensions to help people with with prospecting. You know, we're learning from our market actually what value can we offer you because that's all—it's an exchange of value. That's your product. If you can offer them the value that they need, they'll pay for it, and that's a successful business. Um, lots of fintechs have failed in that, and and lots of you know, we we talked about WeWork earlier. Um, lots of value just so happens, you know, they've got billions on their overhead, so there's not enough value. Uh, you know you don't have to make things over complicated find a pain point solve that talk to your market polish it get it out there and then be prepared to change it 50 times because it will change absolutely so
1: jamie final words what's uh, next in store for for Plato? Years one, years two, years
0: three. Uh, well, so we're, we're just about to announce. Um, so in the public, so this can be the first place we do announce um, our, our one million pound raise. Um, so we're, we're excited about that and that's helped us launch the product. Um, you know, we're looking to scale over the next year and, and get, you know, a, a one or 2,000 recruitment agencies on and, and helping as many businesses in the boom that we're going to have, the hiring boom. That we're going to have in the second half of this year. Um, I mean, two, two, three years, you know, we want to be international. We want to have different products. You know, we want to help different types of businesses. We want to be known as the support system for, um, you know, the small businesses in this economy um, and, and really knuckle down on that. You know, we, we're not interested in big businesses. So w- we want to be globally renowned for being not just a lender, but, you know, the support system and the value add that all small businesses have when they look to hire or or, what do they do split an invoice that's for us and for obviously recruiters we want to be that way that we can offer supreme amounts of uh of value so they can go get their cash flow get paid go win business scale their businesses successfully and and obviously have a good time doing it well amen to that Jamie. i'll
1: sure you get there um you've definitely got the um you know the, the right foundations of experience and it's a great brand and it's an absolutely great time and it's the epitome of the 2020 entrepreneurs club you know these stories of uh the world changing and, and spotting an opportunity there and not just an opportunity to capitalize on a on a shit situation but an opportunity to help a lot of people out along the way commercially whilst you know and, and everyone starts to make money and uh it, it's a great concept and uh yeah i think uh uh, you're definitely gonna to continue to excel in the years ahead. So, uh, something I, I ask everyone: um, yeah. you're very uh, active on LinkedIn and and slightly angry sometimes. So, I don't know if I should recommend people reaching out. <laughs>
0: no, I love, I love, I love LinkedIn. I think I'm just very dry. I'm not. I'm the. Uh someone called me someone called me yeah the antithesis of disney um you know just but i'm just very real i I love to speak to people i i I will give my time up for people so i'm happy to be reached out to but yeah my my content is some some sometimes it's been called controversial
1: yes yes slightly controversial but no it's it's funny it's definitely up my street so people can reach out to you uh jamie beaumont and uh you're happy to give some words of wisdom of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you have a mixed bag of experience. I'm just now selling your uh, your wisdom skills here, but you've got the uh, you've certainly got startup experience, you've got fintech experience, recruitment experience,
0: and you can teach people to ski and snowboard and yeah. snowboard.
1: This is like, snowboard. this is an incredible mixed bag
0: here. So yeah, so if you wanna if you wanna if you wanna book a meeting out on the mountains, that is my preference. As long as you're paying, we can make this happen. We're good.
1: Well, let's, uh, let's both try and expand into uh, the silicon slopes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, Jamie, that was an absolute pleasure. And uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon. But uh, best of yeah. luck with everything moving forward. But uh, I'm sure you <laughs> don't need it. Everything looks great. And wish you uh, all the success. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much to Jamie. That was a thoroughly enjoyable chat for me. I hope it was an enjoyable listen as well. You could probably tell that Jamie and I could talk for hours and hours about recruitment and it would just turn into a massive nerd off about the recruitment industry. And I don't even think people within the recruitment industry wanna listen to a massive nerd off about the recruitment industry. So best to cut it there. But hey, very insightful episode for me. My biggest takeaway is someone that spots a problem within the world of finance now and can find a solution as good as play to Pay can get it to market within a matter of months. And that's not taking anything away from Jamie. He's done amazingly well. Very accomplished guy, knows his industry inside and out. But my entrepreneurial spidey sense tingles when I see someone with a good idea, forming a good team around him, getting something to market so quickly. And I hope there's other would-be FinTech entrepreneurs out there. Take this as a bit of an inspiring episode that you can accomplish stuff Pretty quickly if you execute it right. He's just raised funding, million quid in the bank. Can't wait to watch him spend it. And he's fallen on something that is definitely a problem within the recruitment industry, especially in more challenging times now. So definitely keep an eye on Jamie's progress. Reach out to him on LinkedIn, if you dare. Definitely look him up. You'll see what I mean. He's, uh, he's a bit grouchy on Monday mornings, I think. But if you catch him Monday afternoon onwards, he's absolutely lovely. And all jokes aside, he's very, very willing to offer support. He's always been massive in the grad space. He's very well accomplished in the recruitment industry. And soon he'll be an absolute expert in the fintech industry as well. So thanks again to Jamie. And stay tuned this time next week for another 2020 Entrepreneurs Podcast.